listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down an issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. And on this week's episode, we are looking at a recent book release from American health journalist Linda Villarosa that looks at the startling health disparities between white people and people of colour in the United States. Keith, let's dive straight in. Tell us about the author. So the author is Linda Villarosa, and she's a journalism professor at the City University of New York, and she also writes for the New York Times magazine, and she covers the intersection of race and health. And she's had a lot of experience in writing about these matters over the years. What I find fascinating about the book is that people of colour lose out in terms of health, not because of racism, but because of race. Mm. It's not that people are discriminating against them on the grounds of racism, but you start life in a disadvantaged position just simply as a result of your colour and the presuppositions that white people make regarding people of colour. Like, for example, during the era of slavery in the United States, there was an assumption that black people were stronger and more resilient than white people and therefore can stand pain. Mm. And so the assumption was always that if you're dealing with a black patient in a hospital system, they need less painkiller because, after all, they've got a greater tolerance for pain, which is complete nonsense. Yes. But that is firmly ingrained within the US medical system. Yeah, and I wanted to bring that up with you, that it surprised me that that's still a thing. How Like, you know, it's in medical texts that people are still working off. How is that even possible, given the advancements we've made, how much knowledge people have, that there are doctors still operating under this falsehood? I think that they're operating today as they've always done in the past. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm. And people have just simply grown up with this idea. And it's part of the DNA. And so that's what Linda Villarosa is saying. That's why I think the book is so important, because it it just reminds us about the disadvantage that black people face on a daily basis. One of the ideas she talks about is what's called weathering. Mm. So if you can imagine a, a house being battered by adverse weather and the house then begins to suffer because of the wind and the rain, she is saying that black folk don't live as long as white folk partly because of the daily battering that they get from the way that they're treated. No one sets out deliberately to to discriminate against them, but it's somehow just built into the system. It's far more systematic than you would expect. Yeah, and the book's called Under the Skin. I don't know if I'd mentioned that in in the opener. What other sort of topics and themes does she explore in this book? Well, she looks at the problems of pregnancy for women and the need for them to have what's called a doula, who's Mm. the person who will work with the mother during pregnancy. There are a number of good ideas, I think, in the book. So it's not just a gloomy assessment of the discrimination that the people of colour face. And, of course, at the moment in the media, we're being reminded of this by the number of black people being killed by the police, the black police Mm. killing black people. The argument there is that... Once you put on that blue uniform, you're no longer a black person. You are a person in a blue uniform. 
And so color doesn't really count. And it, it's really part of the culture. So it takes us back to this DNA issue that everywhere you go in the United States, it's just so deeply embedded in the United States that people don't even now think about it. It's just there. A fish doesn't know that it swims in water, which makes it a bit gloomy about thinking about how we're going to change things in the United States because it is just so part of that, so much of the DNA. Does she talk at all or is there an idea that money has an impact or is it on the base of it just race and it's it's not that they're disadvantaged financially, it's that they're inherently disadvantaged because of the colour of their skin? Well, they are inherently disadvantaged. The money issue comes up in a, in a variety of ways. There is a process, for example, called redlining, which is now supposed to be illegal, but it's still carried out. So this goes back to the beginning of the 20th century and town planning, and governments worked with the real estate industry to ensure that certain areas would be only for whites and blacks would be herded into other areas, which then became ghettos. And the area around where the blacks were to live were redlined, mm-hmm. hence this phrase redlining. Now, that's been struck down as supposed to be illegal, but in practice, it still continues. And if you think back to the, the importance of housing today, it's not just the place where you get shelter. It's a place where you also accumulate wealth. But if you're living in an area where housing values do not increase, then you're being disadvantaged. Mm. For a white family, by contrast, they can leave the house to the children and that way you build up intergenerational wealth. Whereas with black people, that's just not possible because they're being disadvantaged. And then you linked into that in the United States that the Americans have this weird system that their local schools, the high schools and primary schools, are financed from rates levied on residential areas. Yes, I've heard of this. So if you're in a poor residential area, you've got a limited amount of money to go into education. Which then just spurs on the problem. Exactly. And so this is what Linda Villarosa is saying, Mm. is that it goes back to an issue that we've touched on in this series over the years, uh, the social determinants of health. So that by the time you're sick and you're in the health system, it's too late. The problem is further up the chain. It may even be in the place where you're living. We did a program, oh golly, a couple of years ago on food deserts. Mm. So a food desert in the United States, and we have them here in Australia as well, but not to the same appalling extent. A food desert is where even though you're in a city, you're not near an outlet for fresh fruit and vegetables. You do your shopping at the local convenience store. So that's crisps and and that sort of stuff. It's not your frozen food. It's it's not the healthy stuff. So that makes it a food desert. So, yeah, you're, you're in a big city like Los Angeles, but you could be in a district, which is a food desert, and you don't have access to an automobile. And so you're relying on public transport. It's obviously very difficult to carry lots of vegetables and fruit on Mm -hmm. on a crowded bus or whatever. Black parents know what they've got to feed their children. But the problem is they can't get access to that important nutrition. And so the child gets poor nutrition, which disadvantages them when they go to school. The school is in a poor neighbourhood, and so it has a limited amount of money for its budget. So even as a child, that child is being discriminated against, even though, you know, the white bureaucrats could say, well, we're not 
you know, enforcing apartheid or anything like that. It's not like South Africa, but in fact, the child is being disadvantaged right from birth. And it might even be a low weight birth. So the mother may have been malnourished. So right at the beginning, as soon as the child is born, it's got a a low birth weight. Some interesting research being done now on low birth weight as an indication for later problems in life. Right. A baby that is born with a low birth rate suggests that it might be coming into a family which itself is has got malnutrition, not spending the right amount of money, perhaps it's got a poor background. Mm. So low birth weight can itself be an indication of other problems. So these are all what are called social determinants of health and there's some um, really interesting work, as I say, being done on that. What it, what it suggests then is that by the time you end up in casualty, the problems are well and truly established. And they are established because of the place where you live. Sir Michael Marmot, who's a pioneer in the social determinants of health, looked at the way in which living just a few miles from each other, say in Glasgow in Scotland, you have different health outcomes. So in one middle-class area, you've got access to, as I say, the fresh food and veggies, etc. Others fry their Mars bars, which yeah. <laughs> I find amazing. So they're pretty, they're pretty tasty. Are they? I I'll must take say. your word for it. I'll take <laughs> your word for it. So what we're looking at then is the, as I say, the social determinants of health. And Linda Villarosa in this book is using that same sort of reasoning in terms of the black disadvantage. This is Global Truths. Thanks for your company this week as Dr Keith Souter and I discuss a new book by Linda Villarosa that aims to expose how race is impacting health outcomes for black people in the US. Now, in a recent interview while she was promoting the book, Villarosa discussed the Roe v. Wade decision yep. recently and how that will impact black women. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so what we've seen has been the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and we've now got a new court case, which in effect has said the judges this time round have decided that they cannot see in the Constitution where there is a right to abortion. They inferred it from the right to privacy in the earlier decision, which is Roe versus Wade. In the more recent decision, they've said, no, that doesn't exist. So mm-hmm. they're actually reinterpreting an earlier decision. Yeah. But that's the legal argument. What it means, in effect, is that there is no nationwide prohibition on abortion or acceptance of abortion. And what they've said is that it goes back now to state governments to make their own decisions. So you now get this patchwork quilt Mm -hmm. of regulations relating to abortion with some of the more uh, liberal states like Massachusetts and New York having a very different policy from that of, say, Louisiana and the others in the Deep South. Now, the people who will lose out on this mainly will be African-American women. Remember, they start off disadvantaged right from the very beginning. And now on top of this, if they're living in a state which has now said we will ban all abortions, then they've got to find money to go out of state or they just have to pay somebody for some sort of backyard abortion, which is highly risky. So this is going to be a a decision that will impact particularly women of colour. Yeah. I wanted to go back to the idea of, of weathering 
because I read as well that Villarosa talks about just the stress of living as a person mm-hmm. of colour in America. Like you mentioned before, young men being killed, young black men being killed by police officers. And I've read, you know, mothers feeling the stress of losing their child just because they're walking down the street yeah. and they happen to be black. Do you think this disproportionately affects black people and African-Americans in the US or is it poor people? Is it, you know, anyone who's of colour? There certainly are problems with being poor in America, that's for sure. Mm. But I think in particular being a poor black or even a middle-class black, you know, that's the risk you run now. The Mm. police will just pick you up and beat you up, as we've seen. Villarosa does talk about a way forward. What does she say needs to happen to help close the gap? She wants to see greater work done on education, the employment of doulas, in other words, in the particular issue of pregnant women, they should be employed. And I think also better ways of, of just running the healthcare system. The problem is that there is a healthcare industrial complex mm. in the United States. There are a lot of people who make money out of this dysfunctional healthcare system. So you've got America spending more money per capita than pretty well any other country, and yet Americans are not living longer. The average life expectancy of a black person in New York is the same as somebody living in Bangladesh. Yeah, wow. And in Cuba, which is a very poor third world country, children have better life expectancy than the average American child. Do you think part of that is the fact that they don't have universal health care? Exactly. Yeah, right. It's the only major developed Western country without health care. Mm. The Americans tried to introduce health care first time round, coincidentally during World War One. This is before America entered the war. President Woodrow Wilson tried to introduce it. A lot of Americans said, oh, this is the German healthcare system. We're not going to have that here. And so what has happened is that over the years, some presidents have tried to improve the healthcare situation. Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act of President Obama, that improved the situation, but really didn't deal with the real issue, which is what you just touched on, which is universal healthcare, that you should be able to fund healthcare out of a tax system and that you should be able to rock up at a hospital and people start to examine you in terms of your health, not whether or not you've got adequate health insurance. So that is the real challenge. Now, because American governments have not been able to introduce adequate health care in the United States, what we've seen is that some firms during periods of labour shortages have said, we will give you health cover as an inducement to come and work for us, Mm. such as a motor car company, right? We're short of workers. How do we make the job appealing to workers? We will promise you healthcare cover. And so that has now become institutionalised in its own right over the decades. Yeah. So you've got all of these healthcare funders that run the risk of being removed if you have universal healthcare. So you've got this whole industry that's built up around sickness in the United States. It is, I've got to say, very depressing. Yeah. I, I, I tell my American students that Australians overall like America, except for the American enthusiasm for guns, how badly they treat the workers and the appalling healthcare system. Yeah, and you've brought more light to it, of course, with exposure of Linda Villarosa's book. No doubt a fascinating read. Thank you so much. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic.